Scrape them below. No. Children, you guys are dismissed to go downstairs. The rest of you, uh, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Uh, this is your first time at Fullness. Uh, we welcome you. We're glad you guys are here. My name is Scott Shoup. I'm the youth pastor here. Uh, Bart Brookins, our senior pastor, is, is out of town uh, right now. Uh, so I'm filling in today. We've been in a series, actually, um, on 2 Corinthians, but we're taking a break from that today. We're going to look at a couple of parables uh, from Jesus, talking about the infinite worth of the kingdom. The video you just saw was uh, from our youth group two weeks ago, went um, on a mission trip, actually here in town, so we didn't go very far, but we uh, partnered with a ministry here in Birmingham called Common Thread, and uh, you're actually later today going to get to hear um, briefly from a couple of our students just how they were impacted over, over that week, but that's, that's later. Um, I think everyone's aware uh, that what, what's happening this summer, what's kind of the big event that's happening in Brazil that's worldwide this summer? The Olympics, the Summer Olympics happening in Rio, Brazil. I think it's August 5th. Um, and I think most are aware that, that quite a few athletes have expressed uh, hesitation about going down there because of the, the risk of the, the Zika virus. And the last time that I checked, um, this list may have grown uh, since then, but last time I checked, there were five, uh, five athletes, um, Olympic athletes, including one U.S. cyclist, who have said that they're not going to, to Rio for the Olympics because they, they don't think it's worth it. They've said it's, it's, just, it's not worth the, the risk of acquiring the Zika virus for whatever I may gain from competing in the Olympics. And I think that's an interesting phrase. We're going to kind of talk about that today, the phrase, it's not worth it. And, and I wonder if anyone here today, you don't have to raise your hand, but... Uh, have you, has anyone here been struggling recently with, with maybe speaking or thinking that little phrase, that question, is it worth it? Is it all worth it? Um, there, there's so many struggles that, that we go through, um, especially in this, this day and age, that it's easy to ask that question. Um, Standing for, for sexual purity, pursuing sexual purity in a, in a culture that is continually celebrating um, sexual pleasure with no restraints. Um, raising godly kids in, in a culture that is seeking to pull them away from, from him. Uh, maybe living with integrity in your, your workplace, on your, on your job, surrounded by people who, who are not living, walking with integrity. Uh, sharing the gospel with, with those who just don't care about it, or maybe even are derogatory towards it. Setting aside time regularly to spend, spend time with God in, in Bible study and in prayer. It's easy to ask sometimes, you know, is it really all worth it? Um, all that I'm giving up, all that I'm sacrificing, is, is it worth it? And another question I want to pose today, how is your, how is your level of joy? If someone were to say, okay, on a scale from 1 to 10, what, what number would you give your, your joy level today? As you struggle, as you pursue God, um, is, it, is it out of drudgery or is, is it out of joy? Is there joy that is sustaining you? And I think that that's actually why a lot of people, 
um, reach a point in their life where a lot of Christians, where they, they just don't really have joy anymore. And maybe even they reach a place where they kind of walk away from their profession of faith because at some point they reach, they reach this stage where they say they believe in their head and they, um, they've decided in their head, they believe in their heart that it, it's just not worth it anymore. And so their joy is gone and they even, they even walk away. But today, um, we're going to look at two short parables, very short parables, really just three verses of, of Jesus, the parable of the, the treasure hidden in the field and the, the pearl of great price. And uh, I hope that we're going to see that our joy is connected to how we answer this question, is it worth it? And my, my hope, my, my goal, my prayer today is that we're encouraged, that, that you're encouraged today that your joy is increased, um, that you see that the infinite worth of the kingdom, that Jesus is worth it, that the kingdom is worth it, and that it in, in turn leads us into action, into lives of action. So just a, a quick summary of kind of where we're headed today. Um, I'm gonna, since we're talking about a parable or two parables, I'm going to say just a quick word on, on parables. Why, why did Jesus teach in parables? What was kind of happening there? And um, that we're going to look at the, the parables of the, the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great price and say a few things about those, what they don't mean, um, draw some, some cultural things from them. But then really where I want to get to is I want to look at four takeaways, four principles, four truths that I think are in this text um, for us today. So first, a quick, a quick word on, on parables. One of, but not the only way, definitely not the only way that, that Jesus taught was in, in parables. And oftentimes people kind of misunderstand the purpose of parables. Sometimes people will see, see all these layers of meaning and detail in, in every little detail of the, of the parable. And they'll kind of over-interpret the parable and miss the main point that Jesus is, is conveying. And, and others will kind of see the parables as sort of like Aesop's uh, fables, just kind of a moral tale of just this is what you should do. Um, when really Jesus is basically, he's telling short stories or little snippets, scenes to paint a picture, to, to make a point, usually one main point. And um, Jesus actually says earlier in Matthew 13, he actually tells eight parables over the course of, of that chapter, but he says earlier in that chapter why he tells parables, because the disciples actually ask him, why do you speak in parables? And uh, basically, he says, he uses this phrase that I'm sure you've probably heard where he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus is basically saying that he tells parables for really two reasons. One, to conceal and also to reveal. He tells them to conceal from a certain audience and to reveal to, to those who have ears to hear. And uh, imagine this. Imagine if... Um, I don't know why this would ever happen, but imagine that Pastor Bart and myself went to, to listen to a symphony together. Um, when, I know that's a kind of a crazy, I don't know why he would take me instead of, instead of Miss Kathy, uh, his wife, but uh, imagine that we're going to listen to a symphony together. And for those who don't know, uh, Bart, uh, he's, his background is in music. He has graduate level degrees in music, so he knows music very well. I, on the other hand, I like to say that of any music ability that the Shoop kids got, all of it went to my brother and my three sisters, and none of it went to me. Um, 
Mitch keeps trying to get me to try out for the worship team, and I'm like, no, you don't want me on the worship team. Um, I know nothing when it comes, comes to music. So if, if Pastor Bart and I were both listening to a symphony, a piece of music, the same piece of music, he would be able to tell what was, what was happening in that piece of music. He would be able to, I don't even know the technical words, but he would be able to understand what the musicians are, are doing, what the different pieces mean, the instruments, and how they all fit together. For me, I would just be hearing noise. I may, I may like it, I may not like it, but it, it would just, it'd just be kind of noise to me. What's the difference? Pastor Bart has ears to hear. I don't. Now, that's a matter of, of academic training, and Jesus isn't talking about having ears to hear, meaning academic training. For Jesus, what he means is the one who has ears to hear a parable is the one who has a soft heart, a heart that is ready to receive the implanted word and to walk in obedience. It's not a matter of intellect. It's not a matter of academic training. It's a matter of a heart that is soft and ready to receive and to obey. So that's why Jesus speaks in parables. And in Matthew 13, uh, these are actually, these two little parables are the fifth and sixth parables that he tells in a course of eight parables. And he tells some of them to the crowds, and some of them he tells privately to his disciples. And he actually tells these two um, to his disciples in in a house. And he says this, Matthew 13, verses 44 through 46. All right, he says, um, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's it. It's just three verses. So, um, first of all, some similarities between, between these parables. I, I think that they're, they're back-to-back. They're told back-to-back in the chapter because they're both really making the same point. And it's the, the title, that's what I've titled the sermon today, uh, The Infinite Worth of the Kingdom. They're talking about the infinite worth of the kingdom. Both are, are a description of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Both those terms mean the same thing. But Matthew uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. Both speak of, of the hiddenness of the kingdom, that it's not obvious to everyone. We're going to come back to that a little later. Both involve someone discovering something that has infinite value, a treasure and a pearl. Both speak of the person doing something in response to discovering the, that thing of infinite value, of discovering the kingdom. And I think that both show a period of, of time between actually discovering the kingdom, and then actually fully having it, fully acquiring it. Now, I want to be clear of what, what these parables uh, do not mean. Before we look at what they do mean, we want to make sure we know what they, what they don't mean. So a couple of things that, that they don't mean is um, they don't mean that we're earning or that we're meriting the kingdom, okay? Jesus is not denying grace in this parable, um, if, if you were listening to this as, as a Jew, as the disciples, uh, there was actually an old, an old parable that, that uh, Jewish rabbis would tell where they would, they would encourage the, the nation of Israel to really, in a sense, uh, purchase the promised land. 
uh, and sell everything to, to purchase the promised land. But, but the Jews wouldn't have understood that as meaning they were earning the promised land. That kind of that, that idea of selling all to, to acquire something was basically um, renouncing claim. Renouncing claim in order to, to acquire something. But it doesn't really, doesn't, it's not talking about earning it or meriting it. So that's how the disciples would have heard it. So they wouldn't have understood this as Jesus preaching a, a works-based, non-grace gospel. Also, we're not to, not to hide or, or cover up the kingdom. Even though in the first parable, the man, it says he finds the treasure, he covers it up and goes. Um, the point is not that we're to, to hide or cover up the kingdom. Um, has anyone ever done this? Uh, you can raise your hand on this if you, if you want to. Have you been at, been at the store, been shopping, maybe at a clothing store, and you find an article of clothing that you want, but for whatever reason you decide you're not going to get it that day, and so you kind of tuck it away, kind of hide it back in the rack so that no one can really see it well, so you hope that it stays there until you come back and get it. Um, for me, I've, I've not done that at a, at a clothing store, but I have done that. At a, I've literally done that at a bookstore before. I like to go visit used bookstores, and there's been times where I've come across this, this book, like, oh, that looks really good. Um, but, you know, I, I've said before, I, I shop for books like the way women shop for clothes. I can just, I can browse without any intent of actually purchasing that day. Um, but I'll find a book and I'll tuck it away, like, oh, I hope no one finds this. I'll come back and get it later. That's kind of the idea of what's going on here is the detail of the man hiding the, the treasure is it's speaking to the value that he sees in the treasure that he's found. That's the point, the, the, infinite, um, the infinite worth of the treasure. And Jesus is basically using uh, common scenes for, for the first century Jewish audience here. Uh, people would have often hid a treasure in a field, rather than putting it in a bank somewhere, they would have hidden it in a field. And so the guy in the first parable could have been a, a servant um, or a, a peasant just working in the field for somebody, and he comes across this treasure that's been long since forgotten, and so he gives everything to buy the field and acquire the treasure. Uh, divers would dive into the Red Sea in, in search of pearls, and sometimes they'd find pearls that were really, really expensive and worth millions in today's dollars. So these would have been common, common scenes for, for the disciples. So what can we take away from, from these, these two short parables about the kingdom? Well, first of all, I want us to see that true joy comes from knowing the worth of the kingdom. True joy comes from knowing the worth of the kingdom. You know, all people are seeking joy, are seeking satisfaction. That's just how we are hardwired. We're created for joy, to, to, to seek and to pursue joy. Um, the philosopher Pascal, he said this. He says, all men seek happiness or, or joy. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man, even of those who hang themselves. So, and notice that in this parable, what is the source of, of the man's joy? Well, it says that in his joy he goes. 
and he sells everything to buy the field that the treasure is hidden in. So his joy is connected to him knowing the worth of the treasure that he's, that he's found. Now, I want to define quickly the kingdom. I've already said the word the kingdom several times, and I mean, that could easily be a, a whole sermon series on the kingdom, but I think a really good, very brief, uh, succinct definition of the kingdom is this, that the kingdom of God or of heaven is the redemptive reign of God in Christ applied by the Holy Spirit. It's the redemptive reign of God in Christ applied by the Holy Spirit. And this is a redemptive reign because God is in the business of restoring, of buying back that which has been broken, that's what, that which has been lost. And it's a reign, it's a rule because God is in control. God is, God is sovereign. God is doing what he intends, what he wants. And being under the redemptive reign of God brings joy. Why, why is that? You know, as I was, I was thinking about that question, why, is, why does Jesus connect joy, our joy, with his, his reign, his rule? Well, I think it's because when I know that the God who is the Lord of creation, the Lord of history, the one who's written the end of the book, so to speak, who already knows the end to which history is moving, and he's moving it towards that, that end, and he's the one who raises up kings and sets down kings. And um, when I know that that God is is for me, that he's for me, that, and not only that he's for me, but he has actually paid the price by the, the death and the resurrection of his son for me to be able to call him not just Lord, but Father. You can't put a price on that. I mean, that, you cannot put a price on the joy, the peace that comes from that, that no matter how circumstances look in my life, maybe my personal life, or the world around me, when I know that the one who is in control of it all and who's already writing it to the end that he wants, that he's included me, that's, that's infinite joy. Um, I think we all, occasionally you'll hear, you'll read on the news of, of a story of somebody who goes to a yard sale and they find a, a painting or a, a piece of art and it's not going for very much. And uh, so they, they buy it. And they take it home, and then it gets discovered that it's actually an original. And it's actually a classic piece of art, and it's worth, you know, thousands, thousands of dollars. And uh, so they've all, all of a sudden come into a lot of wealth. Well, in a, in a situation like that, um, the, the people that were selling the painting, selling the piece of art, were they taking much joy in that painting, in that piece of art? You, you with me? Were they taking much joy in that? Were the, the people that bought the piece of art, were they taking much joy in that art, in that painting? Why? Because the people that were giving it away, they didn't see the value of it. They didn't see the worth of it. The people who did see the worth of the painting took joy in it. Our joy comes from knowing the worth of the kingdom. Second, the treasure of the kingdom is knowing the king. The treasure of the kingdom is knowing the king. A, a kingdom implies that there's a king. Am I right? A, a kingdom implies that there's a king. And the prize of the kingdom really is, is 
being in relationship with the king. Uh, the whole book of Matthew, really one of the big themes, is that Jesus, he's, Jesus is many things, but Jesus is a king. He is the king. Uh, the book of Matthew, it starts by calling Jesus the the son of David. And that goes back to Old Testament language where it was prophesied that King David of Israel was going to have a son come one day. He was going to have a kingdom that never ended. And Matthew starts, up, starts off his gospel saying, that king has come. That king is, is Jesus. And then at the other end, the end of, of Matthew, these are kind of like bookends in the book of Matthew, he, Jesus says in the, the Great Commission, he says, how much authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me? Some authority, most authority, all authority. So that's, that's, he's speaking like a king. He's speaking kingly language there. So clearly Jesus is the king of the kingdom, and knowing him is a treasure. Paul talks this way a lot in his letters. Here's just a little snippet of some of the language that Paul uses. He, he writes of, of the treasures, all the treasures of, of wisdom being hidden in Christ. He says, um, he speaks of there being unsearchable riches in Christ, that you can't even search them all out. There's no end to them. I think, I think Paul probably had this parable in mind when he was writing things like that, talking about things being hidden in Christ. He says somewhere else in, in Philippians 3, he talks about there being, un, uh, or counting everything a loss because of the surpassing gain of, of knowing Christ. When we, when we talk about, about Jesus with, with people, how are we going to make him attractive to, to others? If we just talk about Jesus kind of as like, you know, he's, just, he's part of my belief system. He's just, he's, yeah, I believe I'm a Christian. I believe in all these different things. And uh, Jesus is part of that. Um, Jesus is kind of a, an important guy in there that I that I believe in, is that going to be very appealing and attractive to people? But if we talk about Jesus like he's, he's our treasure, we have found a treasure of infinite worth, and c- come see, the, come discover the treasure, that's going to make us appealing and winsome and attractive because that's going to get people thinking, okay, there's something different about here. They, these people, they value this person that they're, that they're talking about. And that's probably the main thing, for sure one of, if not probably the main thing that I want our young people, our, our teenagers here, to, to get is that Jesus is the treasure of infinite worth. And I think, honestly, I think that's the only way, the only way that we're going to be able to keep our young people from, from becoming a statistic of those who just walk away after they move out of the house and go run somewhere else away from God is, is when they actually see, okay, I see all these pleasures and these good, these good things in the world around me, but compared to an, the infinite treasure of knowing Jesus, they're worth nothing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with, with the, the, uh, the infinitely worthy kingdom. <clears throat> the old... Um, Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane, who, by the way, is actually the guy that put together the, uh, the Bible reading plan that Fullness is doing, the two-year Bible reading plan that we're, that we're doing right now. He says this, talking about Jesus. I, I love this quote. He says, 
unfathomable oceans of grace are in Christ for you. Dive and dive again. You will never come to the bottom of these depths. How many millions of dazzling pearls and gems are at this moment hid in the deep recesses of the ocean caves? But there are unsearchable riches in Christ. I think he probably had this same, these same parables in mind. So Jesus is the treasure of the kingdom. Next, the fourth or third, Jesus and the kingdom are worth it all. Jesus and the kingdom are worth it all. Notice that the man and the merchant, what, what do they sell in order to, to acquire this kingdom? All. The same word appears twice. They sell all. And the point is that what they're gaining is infinitely more worth infinitely more than what they gave up to to acquire it. I, I think that, that one of the I think that one of the great lies of the enemy that he likes to whisper to us a lot is um, that it's not worth it. You know, we I posed that question at the beginning. Uh, I think the enemy loves to whisper into our ears, you know, it's it's really not worth it. You you really there there are easier ways there are less costly ways of living than, than living in the kingdom, living for the kingdom. And uh, I think that he actually, the way he does this, actually has to do with the nature of the kingdom itself. Um, see, the kingdom is not obvious to everyone. We already saw that there's a hidden element to, to the kingdom. And this is why the most um, academically trained, smartest religious people of Jesus' day, the Pharisees, uh, they hated Jesus for talking about the kingdom because the kingdom that Jesus was bringing and teaching about wasn't what they had in mind. It wasn't a political power here and now on earth. And then also, remember how I said that there was a, a period of time between when, when, when these guys discovered the, the treasure and the pearl and when they actually acquired it? Well, there's, there's a sense in which the kingdom is already here, but it's not yet fully here. We're in the, the already not yet phase is kind of the way that some people talk about it. it. Yes, through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of God has broken in on planet Earth, but it's not going to fully be realized. The unrivaled reign of God is not fully going to be realized until, until the return of Christ. And I think the enemy will actually play on those very truths about the kingdom. And he'll, and he'll say things like, well, have you ever really seen the kingdom before? A lot of people around you say that it doesn't exist, must not really exist. Or maybe he'll say something like, well, you've never fully seen the kingdom yet. You've never seen it fully come up to this point. How do you know it's ever really going to come? You know, we, we see people still get sick and die. We see injustice all over. Is the kingdom really coming? How do you know it's really worth it living for it? And, and the enemy will will tell us these things, play on these things. And I believe that one of the reasons that God's people oftentimes live without joy is because we really doubt if, if it's all worth it. I think that oftentimes we're like um, this man in, in a story that, that John Newton uh, told, Pastor John Newton, the writer of, of the hymn Amazing Grace, uh, one of my favorites in church history. He tells this story of, <clears throat> of this man who had been given a tremendously large inheritance 
um, in, in Britain. This is in 1800, so he's speaking in that language. And so this man had to go to another, another town across the country to go acquire his, his inheritance. And uh, for, for that time, it was like $1,000 or something. You know, in our language, in our currency today, it's like billions of dollars. I mean, think like the most wealthy uh, inheritance that you could possibly acquire. But he has to go um, to this other city to get it. And so he's traveling um, via carriage or, or chariot. And a few miles outside of the, the town where he's going to get, the, get his inheritance, his carriage breaks down. And so he has to walk the, the remaining miles to the, to the town to get his, get his inheritance. Well, what does the man do? He, he complains the whole way. Just complains loudly saying, oh, my carriage has been broken. Woe is me. This is awful. My carriage has been broken. When he's going to inherit a, an infinitely large sum of, of money. And Newton's point is, how often are we like that? These, our lives are so short. It's, just, it's, it's like walking a few miles with, with a broken carriage, not having a carriage. When we're on the way to, to inherit a treasure, a, a kingdom of, of infinite worth. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, um, It is not so much what I have as what I shall have that makes me joyful. Our hope in Christ for the future is the mainspring and the mainstay of our joys here. So when we see what we're, not only what we have now, the riches that we have now, but what is coming, what we're going to inherit, it gives us joy now when we see that it's worth it all. Um, I said that, that we were, uh, we had, we'd partnered with as a youth group with a ministry called Common Thread. Uh, they're a local ministry. They're kind of a, a missional community. Uh, they've, they really live a, a very missional lifestyle where they've, they've kind of moved in uh, with the poor, um, and really the poorest region of our city. And um, that's just, that's just kind of how they, how they do life. And we did life for, with them for a week as a youth group. And, and uh, so I've, it's been great. I've been able to build some relationships with those guys. And just a few days ago, I was hanging out with a couple of them and uh, kind of talking a little bit about, about these parables. And uh, I, I kind of posed the question to them, um, said, you know, if, if somebody asked you, you know, the lifestyle that you live, if they asked you, what, is, it, is it worth it? Is this lifestyle worth it? And uh, one of them had a really fascinating answer. He, because uh, he does get people who will say stuff like, to, like that to him sometimes. And they'll, they'll be really complimentary, like, wow, you, you're awesome. I, I'm, how much you're sacrificing for the kingdom. And I, like, you're a, you're a super saint. And uh, he said he, really, he actually kind of marvels at, at people's attitudes when they, when they say that to him. He's like, you know, I'll, I'll take that compliment, but really, I feel like I'm the one that's living the rich life. I'm the one that has a great life. And I actually feel sorry for the ones who are completely wrapped up in their just kind of the American dream of just building their own kingdom, living a life of comfort and ease, just wrapped up in themselves. He's like, man, you are the ones who are missing out. You are the ones who are living, who are sacrificing uh, I'm the one that is having the, the life of, of joy. He, he, so he, and then he, he said, yeah, 
It's worth it. It's worth it. And then finally, uh, knowing the worth of the kingdom leads to action. Knowing the worth of the kingdom leads to action. When the man in the first parable and the merchant in the second parable, when they discover the, the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great price, what do they do? Do they, do they just kind of say, oh, wow, I'm so glad that I saw this treasure and that I saw this pearl. Um, and I, I believe in the treasure. I, I believe in the pearl. Is, and then stop there and do nothing else? What do, what do they do? There's actually, I think there's six, um, six action verbs in these two parables. He goes, he sells all that he has. He buys that field. The merchant, he, go, he went, he sold, he bought the, the pearl. And again, the point is not that, that they're earning, that they're meriting the kingdom. But the point is that when we see how, how worth the kingdom is, it's going to lead to action. We're going to do something about it. Um, action should follow it. Our actions reflect what we perceive to be truly valuable. Our actions reflect what we perceive to be truly valuable. And our time, our money, our, um, our thoughts will be affected by and will go toward what we, what we perceive to be, to be of most worth. And this doesn't mean that it, that it looks the exact same for every believer. I'm not saying that every believer has to, has to do the exact same thing. God's given us all unique mission fields. But the point is that there should be action that's, that's occurring in our life, joyful action when we see the worth of the kingdom. And so I want to, um, I'm going to ask, I've asked a couple of our, of our students uh, to come up, so y'all can come up, um, uh, Caroline Couch and, and Benjamin Johnson, who both went with us uh, on, that, on that trip. Uh, yeah, use the mic right there. On the, the Common Thread mission trip, and I've asked them both to just really briefly share uh, how they were, were impacted um, by, by partnering with Common Thread for a week. So, guys. So my experience, I've been international missions before and loved every second of it. But I never realized that you can turn where you live into a mission field, that Birmingham is a mission field. I didn't realize that until two weeks ago. I didn't realize that people were living here without access to food. Um, without safe homes, without all the things that we take for granted for and things that we have, don't even think about. We can just drive to Publix and grab some milk and bread and food. Um, they don't have that luxury. And I didn't realize that um, we are here on a mission field. This ground is a mission field. Um, you don't have to travel. While traveling is always amazing to go to do, you don't have to. You can stay right here at home. And the phrase and the verse in the song, um, this world is not our home, really stuck out to me this past week. Um, The place that we call home isn't. Um, Heaven is our eternal home. That's what we look forward to. So when you say you're home and thinking that you have to leave home to go to a mission field, you don't have to because you're actually not. As long as you're here on this earth, you're not home. So this everywhere, every inch of ground is a mission field, and that just really stood out to me, and um, I hope to live in that lifestyle of knowing that this whole ground is a mission field from now on. 
that week was uh, was really fun. It was really powerful. I went into the week with no expectations other than to have an open heart and receive what the Lord had for me. Uh, I made new friends, met new people, worked hard to make a difference. Um, I did CPR on Landon Walker's face and need Griffith couch and the unmentionables in my sleep. I drank good coffee. I ruined my shoes. Um, But out of all of this, what did I take away? I loved working with people, especially people in my own hometown. I want the very best for my people and nothing less. What I take away from this trip is finding a path that I think the Lord wants me to explore very deeply. Um, I think that was my calling is the missions field. Um, time will tell, but that's, that's what I found on this trip is my calling. Thank you. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> and I know that uh, these are not the only two that could share experiences from, from the week. So I encourage you to find one of our one of our young people, one of our youth, and ask them about their experience uh, last week, and I'm sure they'd be happy to, to tell you about it. So true joy comes from knowing the worth of the kingdom. The treasure of the kingdom is knowing the king, Jesus. Jesus is worth it. The kingdom is worth it. And seeing the worth of the kingdom leads to action. So that's, that's my prayer today. So I'm actually just now going to going to pray, and, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. Um, so, Father, thank you that you are, that you are our Father. There is no other kingdom out there where the King actually paid the price for us to get to be part of the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the one in 2 Corinthians 8 that you're, says you're the one that became poor so that we can become rich. Thank you that this kingdom is, is costly, and it was costly to you to acquire it for us. You paid for it with your, with your life. But for us, it's free. God, may we not take it for granted, God. May you open our eyes to see the worth, the infinite worth of the kingdom and the infinite worth of knowing the king. God, would you strengthen us for those who've been struggling with the question, is it worth it, God? Would you strengthen our joy today? Would you whisper to us, it is worth it. It's worth it now, and it's going to be worth it in the future. God, would we, would we take these truths and not just mull them over in our heads and do nothing with them, God, but may they lead to action in our lives. I pray for blessings on every person who's been here today. God, that you would go with them this week, that they would go out into their mission field and spread the joy of the kingdom, of the treasure of the kingdom. I pray that you would do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or even imagine. I pray all of this in the name of the King, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, you are dismissed.